Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Craig Helmstetter, the managing partner of the APM Research Lab. Craig, thanks for taking time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, although today I am in your building, which happens to be shared with Minnesota Public Radio, which has got studio space. So we're sitting in a very expensive and quite beautiful um, radio studio to be able to have the best possible recording conversation. So thank you for having me over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the fun parts of being here, having this kind of studio space available. Yeah. Well, um, I, the research lab is, is something that's new to me, and I want to ask you most specifically about that. But before we get into that, I think um, for people listening from Minnesota in particular, but people from listening from everywhere, can you help us understand the relationship between American public media, um, public radio stations, and those pieces before we get into the creation and the work that you're doing at the research lab? Sure, yeah. The quick overview is that, uh, well, Minnesota Public Radio is just celebrating its 50th anniversary, so it's been around for a while. And as it's grown from a classical and news uh, service to, to have other things going on, they have uh, also have this uh, American Public Media as a name or sort of an umbrella for the entire organization because MPR eventually grew to do work uh, with places like Marketplace, the nationally uh, syndicated uh, broadcast that comes out of California, and uh, also uh, there's a southern uh, a station in Southern California, uh, the Southern California Public Radio Station that's a part of the uh, American Public Media Group mm -hmm. sort of empire, if you will. Uh, Prairie Home Companion grew up through here, so now we have a show, as you know, that's been rebranded to call uh, to be called Live From Here. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a part of that, and uh, and so the APM Research Lab is is uh, is yet another part of this kind of uh, multifaceted entity that's uh, known as APM or the American Public Media Group. And APM though is more focused around the creation of content, where the radio stations may be the distributing channel to get that mm -hmm. content, but they're not the exclusive channel to deliver that content. Uh, people that are listening to this podcast are very likely subscribed to some other APM podcast out there. Much of the content that's being produced here is available for on-demand listening, much as this podcast is. Yeah, yeah, sure. I didn't even mention all the mini podcasts that, right. that come out of here, the hilarious world of depression. Mm -hmm. um, uh, APM Reports has produced a series, so right, there's a right. whole lot of other I'll, content. I'll plug Terrible Thanks for Asking, which right. um, um, is on hiatus at the moment. I hope it comes back. But uh, <laughs> lots and lots of great content that's produced to reach all kinds of audiences. So that's one part of what APM does. But somewhere along the line, um, somebody decided uh, a research lab was going to become another part of what is APM. So um, what can you tell me about the, the backstory on the creation of the research lab? Uh, yeah, the, well, the creation story that, that I've heard, I, I didn't come up with the idea. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 the uh, president, John McTaggart, and actually the former president, Bill Kling, both apparently for years had this idea that that much like a uh, financial investment firm that has investors, but also has analysts doing some research behind the scene, helping to inform those investors, uh, they've taken a look at that model and said, you know, we have reporters doing news, but what we don't has a, have is a group of analysts or researchers that are kind of looking into the broader picture of what's going on. What's the, the most, uh, what are the most important trends? What is the research telling us that should be brought then uh, to reporters in newsrooms? And so uh, they were kind of batting this idea around and they were meeting with some uh, potential donors and, and, uh, 
as the story goes, how I've heard it is that uh, now this was, mind you, before the most recent election cycle that these mm -hmm. donors started talking about how they wondered if people even believed in facts anymore. Right. There was so much, uh, I don't think they actually used the word fake news, but they thought about, you know, facts are less and less in currency. And, and that become a, became a big, you know, topic of conversation related to then uh, the presidential election. Anyway, these donors, uh, when they started talking about the lack of facts, um, uh, John McTaggart connected that with their longtime dreams of ha having this analyst function and asked them if they'd be interested in, in investing this in that sort of a function here at APM, uh, and they were, and so uh, here we are. They provided the seed money for APM Research Lab. So um, recently I've done a couple of different conversations that I mentioned to you ahead of asking for some of your time about the idea of nonprofit evaluation. And mm -hmm. um, Ruth Hamburg recently on the podcast uh, talked about, you know, one of the organizations she's working with, the big question is, are we there yet? You know, mm -hmm. are we looking at measuring a thing that lets us know we, in particular, at this nonprofit, have a mission. What I'm hearing you talk about, though, is a little bit more, you know, we in public media have a mission of, you know, informing and entertaining all of these people. There's a lot of questions about, you know, what does informing these people mean today and mm -hmm. not having that how are, how do we know are we there yet necessarily moment um, thinks, boy, creating and investing time and energy as a nonprofit organization into answering those questions is a challenge anywhere. But at the scale of APM, that's big. Uh, I mean, there's just so many questions. One of the things I'm really fascinated with is you. what I've seen so far anyway, is you are really talking about facts. I mean, you're getting what would be statistically valid information, not just a come to our website and fill out a form if you want to. Yeah, right. right. Which is, you know, a, a form of qualitative um, data or quantitative data that's interesting, but it's not, you know, a scientifically valid survey. Your stuff seems to be putting the time and energy into looking at methods of statistical validity. Is that a right read? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you picked up on that. That's really important to us. And, uh, you know, our tagline for the APM Research Lab is bringing facts into focus. And so that's what what we're doing. We're trying to do establish um uh, you know, that line of credibility doing uh, really rigorous research and bringing that then uh, to others, whether it be through uh, the newsroom or through through podcasts that APM does or through other other newsrooms around the country or even people outside of newsrooms who just are interested in having research uh, done. And that seems like for many charities with a very specific mission, like that feels big, doing something with statistical validity to it, mm -hmm. um, when there are so many things that are less than that that are relatively inexpensive and easy to do. Mm -hmm. So there's that question mark of at what point do you say, um, you know, close and interesting just isn't enough. We, we really want to have something that we can put a stake in the ground and say, no, according to, you know, long-term statistical theory, we're getting two standard deviations or, you know, whatever the, <laughs> right. you might be shooting for as your measure. And I don't know if there's a, because again, you're relatively new putting all these things together if there is like a particular benchmark. Um, but for anybody that's had a chance to study a statistical measure, you know, there are some pretty high bars that don't often get met and, and you're setting out to meet them all the time or just part of the time or is that still evolving? Well, yeah, really all the time. We're, okay. What we are all about is either conducting research ourselves or identifying high quality research done by others and bringing that to the, to the fore. So it's not that we would always be having to, uh, you know, be conducting a 
some sort of randomized controlled trial ourselves mm-hmm. that's uh, that's super expensive. But if some study like that is done that can be very informative to the public debate and it's not receiving a lot of attention and we see it and we think it deserves attention, that's kind of our role to help put it in front of either audiences that, that we're uh, generating, you know, through our Twitter account, through our, our uh, newsletter, or, you know, through the newsrooms and other vehicles that we're working with here at APM. So who gets to filter through every possible news source about studies, ideas, questions that are to be asked and make decisions about this one we ask ourselves, this one we, we highlight somebody else's work, um, this one's really interesting, but we can't put it in because we have finite resources. I mean, how do you make the editorial decisions? Yeah, well, we're, you know, it's now a staff of three here at the APM Research Lab. And so we we collaborate on that. And and you're very right, uh, as with, you know, all of the charities who you are talking with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we work in this environment of limited resources. Uh, and so we do all that we can to identify important studies that have come out and kind of highlight those. And even more so to... to um, how we're really starting, you know, this, again, we've been around for nine months, and and so how we've made those kind of priority decisions so far is to say, well, first and foremost, we need to establish our value here with the Minnesota Public Radio Newsroom. So I talked with the uh, Nancy Cassett, the executive director here, said, what's on your mind? And she connected First me. and foremost, just as a function of proximity, or is there a mission imperative about Minnesota first? Uh just because this this is kind of the headquarters, the main okay. part of of uh, APM, and and uh, you know my background is from working here in Minnesota, and so this is okay. you know naturally where I have most most knowledge and expertise. Um, and so it was a natural kind of first uh, step and, you know, just the proximity, being able to meet with people face to face and so on. Um, but so uh, really then, uh, you know, in terms of that prioritization question of how, mm-hmm. to, you know, out of the whole world of research and information that we could be uh, tr- uh, trying to put in front of folks uh, in so, so far, it has been the case, well, what's most useful to the Minnesota Public Radio newsroom? What, how, can, how can we be helpful there? And in talking with Nancy and then Mike Edgerly, uh, you know, they had, some, uh, they had some questions just as an example about, you know, there's this thing that people are always referring to as the rural-urban divide. We need, we'd like to know more about that. We'd like to understand Minnesota a little better in the context of the, you know, the post-election context 2017 and so as a result we ended up fielding uh, really the most comprehensive survey that Minnesota Public Radio News has ever surveyed has ever fielded of of Minnesotans so you know 1600 Minnesotans um, you know asking them a whole range of opinions and that just kind of grew up from you know what what can be most useful uh, to hear to the newsroom, and, and that's that's one of our core values here. At the mm-hmm. APM Research Lab is being useful. Being nonpartisan is another one, but but uh, so uh, that's you know we'll be sort of client driven in that way, um, as well as uh, identifying things on our own. So uh, Minnesota Public Radio itself is a charity. Um, So as a nonprofit organization, it has a for-profit arm that earns some money to help support the organization's work and all the rest. But it has its own missions, and that's influencing yours. Other APM partners have missions that in turn kind of help you shape what yours may be. Um, Are you separately incorporated at this point? Uh, You are just a wing of um, uh, APM? And I get to that question around the idea of 
this is fantastic and everybody would love to do it. The big question mark is who's going to pay for it? A lot of folks would love to be doing the kind of work that you're doing and feel like, boy, putting the resources on the table is challenging. So is it APM that pays the bills or are you separately incorporated? Uh, we are not separately okay. incorporated. We are p- part of APM. Okay. Um, uh, we're just we're we are a division of of APM. And, okay. and you're right. It's very you know the the financial model of uh, of uh, APM has been <laughs> extremely interesting to me, and, mm-hmm. and probably would be intriguing to many uh, in your audience. Sure. Just you know, having worked in nonprofits for several years myself, uh, most recently with the Wilder Foundation. You know, they have a very sophisticated uh, uh, grant writing and fundraising model there. And to come here, it's even more multifaceted and and, uh, and, and interesting, you know, between right. members and, and donors and so on. Well, and just for context, and I'll put the Wilder Foundation's um, research um, information in the um, show notes for people to be able to click through and take a look at some mm-hmm. of the work you've done there and what is ongoing there. But as an operating foundation, Wilder's mission is different from a media organization's mission. Um, so yeah. the research, of course, is just by nature going to be focused a little bit more different. Uh, more different. I, uh, me, <laughs> me talk pretty one day if I can use a public radio reference there. Right. Um, but I, I think that the the question as you get started and, and talk about how does this become an ongoing sustainable piece of the work, um, how does it get paid for, is a really important question for all kinds of charities. Media charities, sure, mm-hmm. but everybody to think of We'd love to have more fact-based conversations. And, um, you know, doing a statistically valid factual search is an expensive thing to do. If other people are doing them and we can just surface that, that's great. But for for things that don't have that yet and you'd like to do it, um, there are ways to do it, but they tend to be pretty labor-intensive and therefore fairly expensive. So um, the the question um, always, I think, for any charity is, who helps pay for that? And right now, mm-hmm. you've got a round of early funders that said, we want it to happen, let's get started. But the ongoing conversation, is that part of your job or is this somebody at APM that has to figure out the finances? Oh, that's that's uh, part of my job. Okay. I, de- I definitely have support from other folks around APM, but that, that is part of our job is to develop a sta- and establish a uh, business model. Um, so, But to give you a, a glimpse of kind of how we're uh, starting to tackle that whole mm-hmm. question now, as I mentioned, we have these donors who've provided this seed money and yep. an, an initial runway for us. Um, and so, so far, we've been using that naturally for ongoing operations, for, for hiring our, our first, uh, uh, our initial staff, for office space and so on. Um, when it comes to actually conducting projects, uh, for the case, just as using this ground level survey that I mentioned as an example, right. um, our staffing to that project, uh, relied on the donors uh, funding to actually hire a firm to conduct the telephone interviews uh, 1,654 telephone interviews you're mm-hmm. quite right that's an expensive proposition um, in this case uh, uh, the McKnight Foundation the Blandin Foundation and the Bush Foundation all had very similar questions to the NPR newsroom wanting to understand uh, rural Minnesota and, and urban Minnesota and mm-hmm. in, in today's context. And so we were able to talk with them and they all provided uh, support for the collection of that data. And so uh, so that's, that's part of the business model is getting uh, foundations and others interested in uh, projects that we might be undertaking and, have, and uh, partnering with them to uh, make them happen. So what's the ramp up time? Because uh, 
as somebody who does some grant writing and fundraising, um, sometimes it takes quite a while to get right. into those doors and have conversations and whatnot. And the question might be irrelevant by the time they get around to making a funding decision. Right. So uh, if if you say we're interested in these things, let's find some partners um, on that. Um, you know, how much time can you take having those conversations about getting funding before you just have to decide, we really need to get started because these, I mean, the processes themselves take a while. Yeah. Uh, well, it, in this, in our first go at it with the ground level survey, fortunately, that was a question that was very ripe on the okay. minds of these uh, foundations. So they were ready to, to go and to partner with us, you know, fairly quickly. That might not always be the case we recognize. And so... Uh, something that we commonly do with research projects is scope them in, in different ways. Like if oh, we, okay. you know, if we have, ideally we'll be able to survey, you know, 1600 people in Minnesota. If we're not able to raise the funds to do that, uh, in the case of a survey, you can actually represent the state of Minnesota fairly uh, solidly with a sample size of 400 folks. So we could scale back that survey. Now, that wouldn't allow us to, to delve into things like what do people specifically in Rochester think about right. this topic, but it would give you a statewide picture. So you... So, um, you know, we can flex these research projects to be more or less ambitious, depending on the level of kind of partnership that we that we do have on them. So I mentioned, uh, and this sort of dovetails a little bit into going after um, philanthropic support for the things that you're interested in, or just donors that are interested in seeing that happen, that are willing to contribute. But um, there's also a possibility, as with other public media properties, of looking at an earned revenue stream where mm -hmm. um, charity partners or, or other communities might say, we want this done. You've got a research lab. Can we just hire your lab to get it done? And therefore, you've got access to this to share with APM and its partners and all the rest of it. Is that part of the, you know, what may become an opportunity or is being out for hire not on the radar right now? No, it, it very much is okay. uh, on the radar. And uh, and. Uh, but I should uh, just let you talk about possibilities. You have a good <laughs> mind for this. <laughs> so, no, this is great. That, that's exactly right. Uh, even this morning, I was talking with some folks in our national distribution office, and they, you know, they're mm -hmm. in the business of helping basically selling programs to different radio stations around the nation. And so the idea was uh, that they would also like to sell research services to mm -hmm. other public radio stations around the country, you know, while they're selling programs like the BBC NewsHour or Marketplace um, to these stations. Maybe those stations are also interested in fielding a survey or having us do some uh, census data analysis that help them understand their communities uh, or report on their communities. So uh, very much that kind of earned revenue model is, is a part of what we're uh, looking looking at. Well, and I, I think it just makes sense, but it also gets into a sort of a nonprofit mission creep question of mm -hmm. um, how far out do you go um, mm -hmm. doing other people's work? It seems like there's an awful lot of leeway in space there where, especially if it's a, a, somebody who's in public media already that comes to you and says, we'd like to do this. If you also can say, other people in public media would love to see that information too. Let's go. We can totally mm -hmm. use it for what you need it, but we can also make it available to other APM partners and, and everybody learns and we distribute widely and that's great. Right. But if somebody comes up and says, I need to know this very narrow thing that really only I'm interested in mm -hmm. and I want to hire you to do it. I'm like, well, then it's not the double mission impact thing anymore. Now it's <laughs> just, you're keeping staff busy. And 
you know, I, I would think that that would be less attractive, but also not necessarily off the table. It just depends, you know, how you want to think about growing. Is that, um, again, another question? Yeah, you're anticipating a lot of the questions <laughs> we're, we are dealing with here, and that, that that's very much the case that yeah. that we've contemplated that possibility, and you know we're we're uh, open to fielding inquiries of all sorts of, uh, on research projects. If we if we do, especially if we end up working with a for-profit business, but even in the case of um, certain proprietary research that that people might want us to per- pursue. Um, we can handle that in different ways. And as you mentioned here at APM, they're pretty savvy about, um, you know, if they identify something that's not within mission and does not fit that nonprofit uh, need, uh, that we can handle that under a for-profit arm. And so mm. as the APM Research Lab grows, it, it, it could be a possibility that we develop uh, or we work under the auspices of the for profit arm of APM, or we even develop a for-profit, you know, sure. uh, silo within the small, you know, APM research lab organization to kind of uh, handle that. Uh, that. Now those, you know, that's down the road for us, but right. that, that is something that we're contemplating. And of course, it's something that public radio needs to be very cognizant of if, you know, for the underwriting that goes on around here, for example, there's strict requirements. And so they have lawyers looking at, you know, is right. that a ad or is that just uh, support? And, you know, how do we classify those things. So uh, it is something that's, you know, we look at quite uh, seriously around here. Right. I, I can see where um, any charity that's thinking about um, how their business model transforms in the 21st century, and there's a lot of them that are thinking donated revenue alone will not suffice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd love to have an earned revenue stream. Um, but if it's not a mission-oriented revenue stream, then we're also talking about unrelated business income tax and all sorts of other hassles. So keeping it aligned with the mission of the organization just is simpler, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the only answer. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Minnesota Public Radio here that, the, the, you know, gave birth in whatever way, shape, or form to APM, however that transition became, um, has been around for decades, so it's had some time to kind of kick those things around. Your work and many other charities, I think, being newer, have to figure out the path of what's mission revenue, what's something that's outside of that, and where do we draw that line? And and mm-hmm. just say, you know, here's some good private sector research firms that will go do this for you. You know, we suggest you take your business that way, right. um, which is a painful thing for any charity to do, but I think is the right thing to do often. And maybe, again, as a relatively new organization, you just haven't had a chance to test that line yet. Nobody's come up and said, we really want you to, do, or has somebody come up? And said we'd love you to do this, and you've had to say eh, no, thanks. Uh, not yet. Yeah. Some, some we we have looked at some, uh, uh, you know, requests for proposals that have come our way that mm-hmm. we've had to say, uh, you know, that that actually fit better with my prior organization mm-hmm. with Wilder Research, for example, to to do that sort of a study. And here we're doing something slightly different, or we just don't have the capacity with our three person staff to take right. this on just just yet. But uh, but. Hopefully, we'll we'll generate more demand, and even we'll have uh, even more of those questions coming our way in the future, just because people will want to work with us. But you make a very good point that that there are 
Uh, just because something is lucrative doesn't always mean that it's the right thing to do to take that on uh, because of the, the importance of mission to all, to all of this. Right. I, I think especially it's just an interesting area of charities want to know the things you want to find out. Um, the, the radio audiences want to know that. The folks that are getting the content distributed in ways other than radio want to know all these things. It's now a question of all those competing priorities and who wants to pay for this part of the work. And that's just fascinating to me and I think a lot of other people about where do folks um, actually want to invest their resources towards what end. So I want to ask a little bit about the the technical nature of what you do, because I don't know that um, many people have had a chance to understand when we talk about looking at uh, a survey mechanism that differentiates audiences in metropolitan areas statewide, and you need a larger sample size to do that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned telephone. That's still the way that it's getting done, even though I've not answered a telephone call um, (laughs) in forever. Uh, I I mean, if I know who's calling me, of course I do, but if I don't know who's calling me, generally speaking, I don't, and I expect that that's a trend happening elsewhere. Is the telephone still the way to get a randomized sample, or how do we reach people? Yeah, it's one of the ways, and that it definitely is an issue that the whole industry is wrestling with. You know, how much uh, do we rely now on online uh, panels that are put together? How much do we rely on uh, telephone and, and cell phone? And I should mention the study that we did was mixed between landlines and and more than half of it actually was through uh, a cell phone sample. Mm-hmm. Um, or do we actually revert to an older method, which is, you know, ma- mail out because uh, addresses are a little bit more fixed than mm-hmm. telephones are these days. And so all, all of those sorts of questions are in the air and and uh, it, those are just research uh, uh, problems that, that are, you know, that that uh, that we get to exercise our creative juices on, you know, every for every uh, given question that we're uh, asked to answer. What's the best method to answer that question? And, and it's different with different uh, questions. Right. I think one of the things that's always challenging when I talk about um, fundraising is there's uh, an industry um, trend or or I will just say laziness towards the idea that, well, if you want to reach a millennial, you go this way. And if you want to reach a Gen Xer, you go this way. And if you Mm -hmm. want to do this, and I'm like, uh, you know, as as somebody um, that's technically in Gen X, but never, I mean, I don't have a landline, I don't answer my phone, making a, an assumption about a demographic, um, I, I think is somewhat limiting as opposed to how do we just identify that what we want to reach is people? Um, people have different ways of being reached. How do you address that in such a changing environment when... I'm also less likely to open postal mail um, if yeah, I don't know where right. it's coming from, let alone, you know, all these other things. But, boy, if you reach me by email, you got me. You know, I'm I'm ready right. to, to um, sort and think through anything that comes to me that way. And, of course, other people don't respond that way. And I think it's just such a challenge in the work that you've you've done a little bit of already in – trying to understand the facts about human beings. And in order to do that, we need to talk to the human beings. And boy, they can be tricky. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, those are, yeah, exactly right. It's a, a, you know, really uh, a a landscape that's in transition in terms of how you conduct the research and technically uh, getting people. uh, For the the survey that I'm making reference to, uh, the ground level survey, for such a major um, project like that, what we did is we we served as sort of a general contractor. Mm-hmm. So um, we we put out a request for proposals and ended up working with 
with a firm called SSRS that does, it's, it's just a highly reputable national uh, firm that helps us wrestle with the very questions that you're asking. I mean, that's their day-to-day expertise. I, I definitely have some background and training in all of this, but, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that is their business and their expertise. And so they were extremely helpful. And I think it was useful, um, the sort of that general contractor role that we played at APM Research Lab for, um, you know, some newsrooms are in the situation of we'd like to field a poll, but they're really not sure, you know, how the, what the methods really mean. And yeah. so they might end up going with the lowest cost option that, you know, they can contact a lot of people quickly, but it may or may not be, uh, you know, scientifically valid uh, study. There's a lot of uh, online polling that happens right. these days. And a lot of people do spend a lot of time on online, but, but uh, you know, you can quickly get responses from a sample that's very biased and doesn't right. represent the public very well. And so I, I think it was, I, I I believe that we played a helpful role both in selecting the vendor, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, to collect the data and then analyzing the data once uh, the data were collected. I, I, and I appreciate that because I do think that um, this just happened to me last night um, that I was uh, Scrolling through my Twitter feed and uh, my favorite gubernatorial candidate said, oh, I'm doing this thing right now and I need you to go to this online poll and vote. And I'm like, you know, I just take a deep breath and sigh like, oh, but none of that actually has any, oh, all right, fine. Um, (laughs) Right. um, And you go do it anyway, understanding that that is only telling us who's gaming what system on that moment, you know, and okay, maybe that's useful information, you know, what's the ability of a campaign to game a system right now? Does that tell you something? But in terms of the charities impacting communities, you know, one of the more interesting, I think, research questions to date is the efficacy around the affordable housing movement in urban cores. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Just was at a a session where uh, Alan Arthur from Aon Homes was talking about um, the amount of money that has been invested in the creation of unions against the number of people uh, just in our population, just how many mm-hmm. humans there are now compared to how many there were when he started this work. Um, and I, I have such great questions for, you know, you to go out and research, but, you know, Alan's spending the money trying to rehab one more building. He's not, at least I don't know, that he's called up you guys and said, I need something that really helps tell this story better about what's happening in the housing markets in these communities that we're serving so that it is something that is sort of defensible and and um, people can go. It, it's not a manipulated story, but it is something that has got some pedigree to it. Um, so if, if Alan Arthur from Aon Homes comes to you tomorrow and says, here's the set of parameters I want to work with, do you have an intake process for a charity to go, wow, that actually is something I think the newsroom would love. You know, let's talk about how we do that. How do you begin? Uh, send us an email. Okay. <laughs> Give us a call. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not, it, it's a low low bar to jump over at this point. Okay. Uh, we're, we're just taking calls and, and, uh, and fielding emails about it. We, you know, when, when we were developing our website, the web developers said, now what kind of parameters should we ask people to fill out concerning potential projects and we said you know just put a contact us box up, <laughs> up there because until we know more yeah really really research projects can be so varied and and oftentimes people will come to researchers they'll they'll think they'll, they'll think hey what we really need is a survey of 
of this population. And, and as we talk about the question, sometimes it turns out, you know, in this case, what we really need is a focus group, or in this case, what mm -hmm. we need is to analyze some census data. And your right. answers are already there. You just need somebody who's sophisticated enough to know where those variables are buried at the Census Bureau's, you know, vast right. data sets. So, um, so you know, having having specs too too finely uh, worked out on some kind of website form is uh, doesn't really work for us. We just need a phone call or a or an email to get the process going. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but that's a, that scenario that you're talking about with somebody like Alan Arthur, uh, who's you know I worked with him and other folks on affordable housing studies in the past at mm -hmm. Wilder Research, and you're exactly right that 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 uh, people need good information like that to base their work on to help prioritize what they're what they're doing and and we had a lot of success and you know wilder research and others uh, do great work in providing that sort of evidence um, to the industry what what we uh, had always hoped for more of is that when I was at wilder and 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 working in 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 my previous life in, mm -hmm. in nonprofit research is that the important information that we find in research like that makes its way into more public dialogue, that, yeah. that it gets heard by the legislature, that it gets makes its way into gubernatorial debates. And sometimes that does happen. I mean, Wilder Research does a, a landmark study on homelessness every three years that's right. extremely useful to those uh, policy discussions and, and, and frequently cited. Um, but uh, what we're looking to do here at APM Research Lab is more of that, getting more of that data out into the public uh, discussion. And uh, so far, NPR News has been pretty receptive and interested. And again, maybe some of the other distribution channels too, not necessarily right, just right. NPR News. But um, So let me flip the question a little bit. If you've got a uh, charity that says, we know some things, we've got... Mm -hmm. Client data. We've, you know, we have very specific information about people. How do you? How do we get this information to a broader conversation? How do we do? Uh, has that reverse uh, come to you as a research lab yet to say how do we help contextualize this information in ways that it's m better um, something that a, a reporter in a newsroom could grab hold of and talk about, or is that flip not happened yet? Uh, that that flip has not happened yet. I'd be happy if, to, if folks are listening to this podcast and feel mm -hmm. like uh, you know that they have done some uh, interesting research that that is worth looking at. I'd definitely you know send it our way. I'd be happy to take a look at it. Uh, but you know. I am a couple, more than a couple, a few steps removed from the editorial process uh, mm -hmm. at NPR News or any other actual reporting organization. And so, uh, you know, that's as, if you want to get the word out about that, a, a pitch to a newsroom or to a reporter that you know is probably just as effective, if not more, than, than sending it my way. Well, but part of it I'm, I'm wondering about is that level of sophistication with you and your staff about uh, um, interpreting and, and um, collating information? Because I do mm -hmm. think that there's a fair number of on-the-ground charities out there that have got data sets. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell them anything other than we've served this many people at this many hours, it costs this much mm -hmm. money, there are this many volunteers. Right. But until you aggregate that against the American Community Survey and, and say, you know, this sort of randomized control group, for lack of a better word, tells us this, and your data tells us this other thing, now there's something to do. But most charities don't have staff that are looking at those other data sets and going, how do we mm. know something beyond what we know? Um, you know, if you right. don't have the comparative data, if you've only got your own stuff, uh, I, I think that there is an opportunity for 
um, the research lab to help people know, do you have a gem in there um, that if we added some layers to it, really does become something that's useful for public discourse or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not certain of that yet. I'm just excited about the possibility of folks looking through their own stuff and thinking if, if APM could just help me understand this better, maybe there is something to talk to yeah. a reporter about, but I don't know it yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm getting excited about this possibility. <laughs> I mean, up until now, we've been talking about pretty major kinds of studies that yeah. probably are more high dollar uh, things, but you're quite right. Uh, you know, get it, finding the right comparative data to put your uh, organization's data into context could be a smaller, uh, you know, lower cost project that that could yield some interesting results. So, right. um, we definitely did some of that work back at Wilder Research. I'm sure other places around town and, and nationally do that uh, sort of work as well. But uh, but yeah, I would I would invite those sorts of inquiries from others right. listening I to mean, this as well. Yeah. I, w I was just looking at um, Family Tree Clinic, for example, a very small uh, charity here in the Twin Cities, um, healthcare provider. They know a lot about their audience, um, and I think that they know a lot more about the uninsured than most of us would believe could be learned about the uninsured because that's a tremendous mm -hmm. amount of who they serve. Mm -hmm. As more people have gotten insure insurance, that that has shifted, and they know some things about that. But they know their people, right? And then mm -hmm. I'm sure, and this is another question I, I meant to talk with you a little bit about as you do both your own original work and this sort of interpretation collation of other work, um, people are going to be very concerned about anonymizing the data for their constituencies in a lot of cases. You know, healthcare mm -hmm. certainly is one that people are very touchy about. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's really, I think, important um, to add that context for that broader public discussion of if you've got employer-based health coverage and you've always had it, you may not really know what's going on with an awful lot of other people. Right. But to contextualize that for the broader audience, we we need to get into those stories. And there's charities that have that, but boy, they're going to be a little bit more reluctant about what does it mean to anonymize and share some of that data if they're not absolutely certain of it. And also, if they just haven't been asked this kind of conversation before, it's a new area for them. Right, right. Yeah, and that, and those uh, sometimes those privacy concerns, I mean, they're, they're huge, uh, very important, but they're not insurmountable. Right. Uh, some people uh, get kind of paralyzed and think, oh, we can't do research because we, it's not possible to uh, share this data. But, but uh, you know, we're, I've done a lot of <laughs> research with client level data, identified data that, uh, you know, it requires legal agreements and it requires training and it requires a lot of care in protecting that data. Uh, but it's, it, it shouldn't be seen as a barrier to doing research that can really contribute to the, the work of, of, of a charity that's providing services and, and needs to know more. Um, and, and like you're mentioning, sometimes those identifiers can be stripped in ways that don't even require sharing of, of uh, identified information. So, uh, yeah, for folks who might be listening to this, uh, don't let that be a barrier to, you, to, to pursuing important research questions that can really uh, improve the services that you're providing. Mm -hmm. We're starting to run a little low on time, and I, I want to ask you a little bit about the future, uh, and this is probably a very unfair question for somebody who's not a full year in the job yet, uh, or the, even the lab isn't maybe even a full year old. Right. Um, but, you know, as you were coming on board and the rest of your staff has joined on board now, is there a, boy, five years from now, we think we can be growing into this, or is that just too early to be asking those questions? No, we are we are starting to flesh out uh, five-year uh, plans and, you know, 
first we need to pr- prove our value, and I hopefully we're we're doing that now in in the work that we're doing uh, here at APM. But f- five years from now, what we would really like to see is is a model where we're uh, our our aspirational target is that we you know have somewhere in the area of a three million dollar budget, and that half of that it comes from donations or ongoing operational support, and that the other half comes from earned revenue from project based work that we're doing. It's a very very rough uh, mm-hmm. uh, approximation of what it might look like, but that's what we're inspiring, uh, aspiring toward at this point. Does that come with any necessary trepidation about if the uh, reliance on earned revenue needs to be as high as that, that that's going to drive more of the research than perhaps just where is the public need? Well, uh, you know, based on my experience uh, at Wilder Research, my primary project was Minnesota Compass, and and mm-hmm. that that was a business model basically that we evolved for Minnesota Compass. It was about half um, funded by a group of, uh, of a lot of philanthropic partners, and then half of the revenue came from uh, uh, projects. And th- but those projects. Uh, were related very much to the mission of Minnesota Compass. You know, if we were tracking quality of life for the state as a whole, uh, maybe a related project was tracking how quality of life changed with the development of the Central Corridor, you know, the, the green, what's now the Green Line. We mm-hmm. did a project uh, that was related to that. So similarly here, those I, while we would have to be careful about scope creep and mission right. creep and all of that, uh, I would expect that as we're doing work that's motivated by our operational budget, that's that's the sort of research that we'll become known for. Therefore, people will want to hire us to do that kind of work. Uh, at least as we're crossing our fingers and, and hoping that that's, that's how it works, so that those things really fold together and work work well together. So is there anything about the nature of how you do your work that you just want to take a free form? I didn't ask you a question about it. It's like, oh, but people should know. People <laughs> should really know this one thing about how we do this because it's important. Well, uh, I think I mentioned at the at the top of this, at the start, that, uh, you know, we want to provide information that's useful. We're not, uh, you know, working right. in an ivory tower. And, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough the nonpartisan oh. nature of our work. Uh, uh, that, you know, we're not uh, a think tank that's doing, uh, you know, some quasi-research to support a, a predetermined um, conclusion. We're, we're here to uh, go where the facts take us. And so um, uh, that's very core to our work. And I haven't yet been able to mention uh, the names of the folks who, I've, who oh, I please, work please. with. Uh, uh, Andy Egbert is the former uh, assistant state demographer here. And uh, Kasira Absar is another research associate. And she had been working over at the U on some international survey work. And so, um, you know, we hope to expand this staff over time. But we've really started out, I think, with a solid crew, thanks to uh, Andy and Kasira. Good. And the way to get in touch with everybody then, uh, you mentioned there's a big contact button somewhere on the web. <laughs> yeah, where, yeah. where can they find you? APMResearchLab.org. Find us there. Uh, APMResearchLab.org. Of course, you can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at APM Research, just APM Research. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look forward to hearing from folks, and uh, thanks very much for your time. Well, I, Craig Helmsnetter, the managing partner for a- APM Research Lab, I really appreciate you taking the time and having us in this beautiful studio to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.